We talk a lot about link building and we know most of our listeners are heavily invested in the topic. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that we're also suckers for tracking and optimizing our processes all the time. So in today's episode, Mark and I analyze our own link building outreach log of over 600,000 emails and try to draw a conclusion to what's working now and what's not working. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. This is the first podcast of the year, and we are starting with a bang because we are going to be talking about link building. But just before we get started, I'm going to remind you that we're actually running a special for the beginning of the year. We have just refreshed the Authority Site system with a bunch of link building stuff, actually. So it's kind of, it goes well with the podcast episode. When we say refresh, like the entire link building module has been refilled from scratch in December. So it's bang up to date, and there's a lot more more a lot more in it as well we've learned a lot about what works not just in terms of getting links but also getting people to do link building which is just as much of a battle as as getting results so we've kind of tweaked a few things made a few things a bit easier and there's a few interesting uh tactics and tools in there now as well that will hopefully speed up the process a bit so if you are a task member if you have access to the authority site system go check it out yeah it's if it's everyone gets the upgrade for free like we promise for people who buy our courses to get for, uh, to get the updates for free so well here we go we deliver on this and if you are not yet student of the authority system and you are considering it probably one of the best times to get it now we have a good price going on right now you can go on toyhacker.com it's all going to be laid out for you on the home page so you can check that out and just to go together with this update of link building in the system we are going to be looking at our own link building uh, log we have actually looked at like 600,000 outreach emails that we sent it's outreach and answers right it's not just like initial outreach emails just on the on the task thing as well like the special offer actually expires tomorrow so if you're listening to this on the day it comes out you get it if not then you won't, unfortunately. So if you're if you're listening to this on Monday the sixth, go grab that now because it's uh, it's not going to be around for much longer. So I think what people care about is what kind of outreach tactics we used to send all these emails. Because to be honest, like this might sound like a lot of emails, but our outreach team is actually not that big. I mean, first of all, there's a factor of time where this is 20 months of data. So it's like, it's it's a lot of emails, but it's a lot, it's quite a bit of time too. So I think it adds up. But can you just run people down through like what kind of tactics we run and more or less like what percentage of our outreach these are? Yeah, so I, I guess the majority of the numbers in this comes from us doing a shotgun skyscraper and sort of a shotgun guest post outreach type thing. Shotgun skyscrapers where you are basically taking one info article that you have and uh, outreaching to people linking to other sites about the same or other articles about the same topic and asking them to also link to you. Shotgun guest posting is when you are, I mean, there's various ways you can kind of like generate prospect lists, but the idea is you build up a big prospect list of people who may want a guest post. And then you just use a tool like Mailshake to, to email them. You, you, you're obviously using Ahrefs a lot for um, the prospecting part. And uh, we use Hunter.io extensively and a few other tactics to uh, sort of find email addresses and that. And that Mailshake is the the tool which we we use for this kind of kind of mass outreach using kind of templates and stuff. 
We are also using Pitchbox at the moment for the more the like sniper stuff. And there there is some sniper stuff that we've either used Pitchbox or even done manually, which is not included in this this data study here. So the data we're including doesn't include everything we've ever done. So that's why I think it focuses like you'll see in some of the numbers where the DR of the sites we're, we're getting is kind of right, usually around the 30 to 50 range. And that I think is a factor of just our targeting rather than, you know, that's what you're you're getting from, from outreach at the moment. So take it kind of with a pinch of salt. There's a lot of emails. There's a lot of outreach data in here, but ultimately I think whatever kind of outreach you're doing, you can probably learn something from here, but this isn't the only way or the only kind of way to to do things really. I mean, we'll talk about... Did you find any kind of difference when it comes to, like what kind of major difference in terms of stats you think we get between the shotgun stuff and the sniper stuff? Like, is it was the extra effort basically? So here's the thing, right? Probably 90 plus percent of the actual outreach messages we're sending in this study of the 150,000 sites we outreach to are, in fact, I say more than 90,000 are shotgun-based outreach, right? So that means 90% of the results, give or take, are going to be from shotgun-style outreach. So any sniper-type outreach, although it will influence the, the end results, I think what you're seeing here is more a, a study of majority shotgun-style outreach, if that makes sense. Yeah, but like you said, like some sniper stuff is not included in this. How do the results differ from the sniper stuff to what we're going to be talking about? Like, do we get higher open rates or lower open rates? Do we get higher reply rates? Do we get higher link acquisition rates? That kind of stuff. I mean, massively across the board. So the the conversion rate of sniper is way, way, way higher. But as with most things, and as you alluded to at the start of the blog post, like conversion rate, open rate reply rate these things don't really matter they're vanity metrics what matters is the total number of links you're you're acquiring to your site and how much effort it takes to achieve that so the way we structure our shotgun style outreach and we did a podcast on this back in sort of may 2019 so go check it out if you want the real details about exactly what we're doing there uh, but the way we structure it, it, it's done in such a way that it's quite automated in terms of like the prospect gathering, the initial outreach. We have systems and processes in place and even uh, a few tools that we use to really speed that process up. So when we're sending the, the email out, it doesn't take us hardly any effort, really. We do spend a lot of effort in the negotiation. So when we get a response... And this varies massively from sniper-style outreach, where we are really crafting, spending a lot of time crafting a unique, careful response that we know is going to work with, or we know is very likely going to work with the the person we're we're outreaching to. So it's just like where you're focusing your your time in in the process is is different for for both. I think it's not really a case of doing one or the other. You can absolutely do both. I think certain people shy away from one or the other, just maybe they're more data minded or maybe they're, uh, you know, they, they just like to please people more. So they, they, they go for higher conversion sniper style outreach, but the truth is you can do both and there's a place for both in, in, in most organizations. Okay. Well, let's start with the takeaways, right, from the study. So the first one is something you alluded to already is that it's a number game. It's like, it's quite interesting because the more outreach becomes a mainstream tactic, 
the more it becomes a number game. Because essentially, I feel like email outreach to get links is now the main link building tactics for most average people or people that don't do crazy black hat SEO stuff, basically. It wasn't always the case, you know, for, I would say, until maybe like two years ago or even a year and a half ago, PBNs were still quite strong, but I don't see people talk about PBNs as much as they used to. I'm not saying that they're not used. I'm not even saying they don't work. I'm just saying that it's not something that's gaining traction right now, as opposed to outreach links that a lot of people who used to be like fervent defenders of PBN stuff, etc., uh, seem to have switched to because they understood that it was safer, first of all. It was like links on real sites, not links on PBN sites. It is also, uh, it can be efficient if it's done properly. And often it can be cheaper as well, rather than like buying the domain than just for a link, like just doing a th- 100 links. I think the reason why more and more people are shifting over to it now is there's been this kind of like technology gap that's been bridged i guess so uh, four or five years ago if you wanted to do outreach-based link building uh, i mean you could use a tool like buzzstream to manage it but it was still really manual and it was basically like just sending a manual email out every time okay there's tools that might help you remember it follow up and like do little things here and there but gmas and mailshake when when those two tools came around and started becoming more widely adopted that's when a lot of, let's call it like, not, not just black hat, gray hat, but just a lot of people who do SEO and who like automating things or building systems, which is a lot of people. And I count myself in, in, in that as well. When those kind of people really started to take note and it became possible to not fully automate, but to streamline large parts of, of the, the process of sending emails. And so where in the past you had very few people sending very few emails, you suddenly had, then had a lot of people sending a lot of emails. That then drove a movement where a number of websites, a lot of websites, in fact, realized that they could start charging money for these links. And they did. And that suited a certain segment. So just to be clear, we, we didn't pay for any of these links and we don't pay for any of these links. We don't pay for any links, no sponsored fees, nothing like that. Obviously, we pay for people's time to actually do the work, but that's don't classify that as paying for links. So because these sites started charging fees, that suited a lot of people who were absolutely happy to, to pay those. And it meant that they had to do less work in the negotiation and like talking to people phase of, of link building. Was, was, you know They would automate a lot of outreach and they would get a response saying, okay, yeah, 50 bucks, and they'd come back maybe try and negotiate or maybe just pay it and, and get a link. And, and that was that. And so the whole, I guess, game of link building changed massively from what it was four or five years ago, where it was very kind of relationship oriented, kind of almost like PR type stuff. And now it's really not. It's, it's kind of kind of gone the other way. I mean, it's becoming, it's professionalizing as well, right? It's just becoming like a, a common interaction to like try to reach out for a link obviously if a site it's like it's quite interesting it's it's really rules like that shows the limits of google's model because like if a site receives 10 links requests per day like it's a sizable amount of time and resources just to accommodate other websites even if you don't consider all of them if, even if you don't take all of them even just considering them and processing them so it's like from that point of view i can't blame them for asking to be paid you know but from the other side, it's against Google's terms of service. So it's kind of like it shows the limits of like Google's idea of how the internet works. 
Yeah, you also see, obviously, it's the people who are, are, I guess, a little bit lower down in the domain rating range who who tend to be the ones who are quite transactional about asking for money. You tend to find that more established sites, they won't do it because they have more to lose from any kind of uh, serious action. They're going to have bigger targets on their on their head if they if they're doing that on a kind of widespread basis but it still happens there's a lot of kind of underhanded bribing interns and stuff i've heard about this kind of stuff does go on i believe so yeah it's it's an interesting one and i don't really know what the end game of uh of, of paid links really is i just want to point out it's still definitely possible to get links for free while outreaching it's just getting harder and it's becoming more institutionalized and like as it's becoming more normal for these interactions to happen people get paid basically so I don't 100% agree with that, and, and here's why. Uh, so in the past, when we've just outreached to absolutely everyone and said, oh, hey, can, can we get a link because we wrote some good content? That used to work really well, and lo- people would see our good content, and they would, they would link to it without question. What's happened is more and more people have, have been doing the same thing, and content's been just getting better, really, is that we haven't been standing out from, from those other people. So, and those people who are willing to pay money for it kind of stand out in a somewhat different way. Yeah, yeah. But what's happening now is that those people who are just doing it on a transactional basis, they, they're not getting links from like the higher end sites, the higher DR sites. And like, as soon as you just send, send a request saying, oh, I can pay or whatever, the sites tend to shut you down quite quickly, like more established sites. What we're seeing as well is, if you can, you can actually like stand out from the crowd by not paying for links in, in a way. Sounds a little, little bit counterintuitive, but at the, at the higher end, the more sort of effort you, you're putting into to actual like personalization relationship building, you're seeing like higher success than previously, if that makes sense, because people are more aware of like actual link building and, and like the purpose of it and stuff. Yeah, so it's quite interesting because outreach became popular. Now outreach is harder. Actually, I wanted to ask you if we had been willing to pay for links. Uh, out of the study, we got four thousand three hundred six links. How many do you think we would have if we were okay to pay for links? That's a good question. I mean, if the sky was a limit in terms of budget, quite a lot more, probably triple the amount. I'd say. I don't know. I like. The- the thing is, I've, I've never really tested it, so I, I, I don't know. How much would it have cost us? Probably quite a lot of money. So, yeah, so a fair six-figure amount, basically, yeah, for, for this many links, I think. Okay, so, I mean, it's quite interesting. I, it's like I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's like a link building service provider as well, who does that kind of outreach, but he's fine with paying for links. Uh, he tells his clients as well. And he was telling me that in the, la- the la- I was asking him, he was asking me for testimonials. So I asked him to send me a list of the last hundred links that he built without filtering anything. And it, he sent it to me and actually 85% of links were paid actually. So that gives you an idea of the ratio when you're willing to pay for links. Again, maybe if you tried a bit harder, he could have gotten some free ones, you know? It's a little bit different when you're doing it as, a, as an agency or as a service because like all you care about is getting the link and like showing that to the client versus when you're doing it for your own site you really have to think about like okay what's the long-term play here what's the risk factors what's the impact of any risk materializing and when you start to think in those those terms your your priorities 
and your motivations are are slightly different. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's jump on to the next point now, which is it's going to be talking about vanity metrics, right? So I kind of alluded to that in the introduction as well. I like this word alluded today. It's the second time I use it. Anyway, we kind of like compared two campaigns in the blog post. Campaign A, which had like 90 opens, 10 replies, and five links, versus campaign B, which has 40 opens, 25 replies, and 15 links. And it's quite interesting because basically campaign B gets less than half of the opens of campaign A with the same amount of emails sent, yet gets three times more links. So like... I've seen a lot of uh, people, I mean, people are quite obsessed with like open rate, et cetera. And they're good metrics because they help with like understanding how well, how good your deliverability is, which is quite in- important for large emailing. But I also see people obsess over it a little bit too much rather than like the actual angle and the, the angle training, because it's a bit more work to like track which campaigns yield the links, et cetera. And once you get the link, you're just like willing to just put it on your spreadsheet and forget about it. Oh God, yeah. It's it's so difficult to to do that properly, especially in the beginning. Yeah, so, but like what was quite interesting is like it shows us that the way people track this kind of outreach is is, is wrong by what I've seen from other people. Obviously, I'm not saying that the person that's listening right now is wrong. I'm saying a lot of people probably do it wrong. And it's quite, uh, how do you track that exactly? Can you explain to people like how how the, the tracking is organized so maybe they can track that better? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is it's not wrong to track open rate. It's, it's absolutely right. I mean, the more the more data points or, or kind of key performance indicators that you can measure, the better, right? If you're getting a higher open rate, that's probably a good thing in most cases. But in some cases, as we've seen, it's not. It's, it's counterintuitive. What was your question? Sorry, I forgot. How do we track it? That's the one. I don't know why, but like I, I'm a spreadsheet kind of nerd. I love like tracking all this and like making our team track everything. And I'm sure for many years, they were like, why the hell do we have to do this? And I had no idea we were actually going to do this big data post about it in the end. But I figured if we ever want to really figure out what's going on, it would be useful to have all this kind of data. And lo and behold, it was. So the way we do it is first first and foremost, if you're using a tool like Mailshake, then you can actually track a lot of your of your data in there on a campaign basis, looking at like opens and even replies if you're tracking those. In terms of actual links, so we just keep a separate sheet of every single link we ever we ever build manually. And then we have various columns in there. So like the date we outreached, the date we got a response. I, I don't know why, but I thought it'd be a good idea to have a column in there about the number of follow-ups it took before they responded and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's really how we've been able to to get this data. We, we've literally just been tracking it from, from the beginning in a massive outreach success sheet. And we've matched that up against the campaign data that we've got out of Mailshake, GMAS, and, and, and whatever else we've been using. So... Yeah, so basically just every time something happens, just have a column for it in a spreadsheet and put it in there. What was actually useful from this spreadsheet is also understanding how long it takes to get a link. And to be honest, it took less time than I thought it would. Uh, but again, these are averages, so some like there's some crazy outliers in there. But actually, from the stats that was in the spreadsheet, we found that uh, people actually opened the email usually on the, like on the day where you send it or within 24 hours. But only reply was in six days, which shows that people are not exactly super excited about receiving outreach emails, I think. You definitely get to the bottom of that to-do list. I think it supports something in the, in the next point, about in a later point, actually, about where people are opening the email to like see what it's about, 
but they're not dealing with it till later. This is kind of like a, a secondary task for them. And that makes sense, right? They've got a business, they've got a website to, to focus on. So I think that's why we see the reply rate further down than, than that. But it also indicates that that's maybe why follow up, following up five days later or so is actually uh, a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah, well, that's coming after. But uh, we actually, it took eight days on average to get the link. Again, there's massive outliers. Some of them are like two months, you know, and some of them are like the same day, which is where it averages around that. So, but like, it's not bad to be honest. Like, getting a link, if you launch a campaign today, then in a little bit over a week, you could already have some links live, which is kind of cool. And I think, like, compared to the like, quote unquote, acquiring links naturally, it's a lot faster. So that was kind of the argument in the article. It's like, well, yeah, it's difficult. It's getting more difficult. It's not, and it will get more difficult. Don't get me wrong. But it's still much, like, it's still fast enough. And it's still, like, it's still quite effective, to be frank. So that was kind of like the point on how long does it take to get a link, which I think a lot of people ask when they start this kind of link building and they've never done it. And they're like, oh, should I really focus on this? It seems complicated and difficult to do. I think there's another takeaway there is that it's a process that stacks up over time. So if you run it for a week, then, okay, you, you might be getting some responses in seven days, you know, from day one or day two that you're sending out. But there's still going to be a lot that take, you know, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days to, to respond. So it's only after you start running it constantly, like the same amount of outreach every day for like two to four weeks that all of the actual outreach starts stacking up and then the responses start stacking up as well. And so I feel like a lot of people kind of give up a little bit too early or dismiss it as like, oh, it doesn't work when they just haven't done it enough to to see those results start to come back and compound. And not enough volume as well. Like a lot of people do like low volume and they're like, oh, I only got five replies. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a volume game. Okay, let's talk about follow-up because you already kind of like spoiled it a bit. But the stats say that from the first email, uh, we got around 60% of the links we got. From the second follow-up email, we got 22% of the links we got. And from the third email, we got around 18% of the links that we got, which it's quite cool. It's great. Like if, if you send only one email, then there's a massive room for improvement here by just following up on people. And mostly because you are at the bottom of the to-do list, it seems, because they don't reply right away when we email them. So I think it's it's something that is established at this point, and it's hard to debate against that you should have a follow-up strategy in place. And that's why tools like Mailshake are extremely good. Just for the follow-up, automated follow-up automation thing, it's really worth the price, to be honest, I think. There's something that's also worth bearing in mind here is that Mailshake kind of schedules or like has a inbuilt scheduling system where it will decide like which email it's going to send out and which day. It kind of builds a little calendar of that for you. So even if you, so typically when we do a campaign, we will be sending out an email on day one and then five days later we would send a follow-up and then five or six days after that we send another follow-up. That's changed over the years. We, we haven't actually found any specifics about like the best way to do it. And I think the reason why we haven't found that is because even though that's what we set, because the calendar in Mailshake can sometimes be full because they're just, you know, so many, it's trying to send so many follow-ups, like the second follow-ups going out this day, the third from last week's going out this day, and a new campaign is also going out this day. It doesn't actually send it on the day it's supposed to. It, it staggers it a little bit further out. I think actually the reason, because I remember we did a bit of an analysis of this a year or two ago. It was more like 50% came from the first one and then another 50 from the other two. And that's changed to like 60, 40 now. 
I think the reason for that is we're just not sending the second and third emails soon enough. Yeah, you just give more time for the first email to catch the attribution, basically. Yeah, exactly. So that's that, that's why those those numbers have changed. But what is also interesting is the difference between second and third. So 22% of links come from a second follow-up and or a second email and 18% come from the third. So should we be doing a fourth? That's kind of, that uh, was my question, actually. <laughs> Because the drop-off is really minimal, like 20 to 18. It's like, the thing is like, yeah, where, where is the spam line, you know? Yeah, it's not like an argument you can kind of like make so much with, with data because you also have to consider like how much am I really going to be pissing people off by emailing them four times. And, and, you know, we've upset a couple of people over the years, but honestly, it's been like really few and far between even sending out. I think there's like four, five, six people that complained on Twitter about outreach maybe. But like also more than 4,000 links built, you know? So I guess it definitely happens, but it's not as bad as, as you might think it is if you've never done it and you're listening to this podcast right now, for example. Some people just have a natural kind of, they just don't like this kind of email outreach. And it kind of like just makes them feel weird. And to be honest, I, I was kind of like that. I was like, oh, I hate pissing people off. I hate annoying people. Because I hate being annoyed myself. But if you look at the data, man, I mean, like, it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like, if you're not willing to do it, someone else will, and will take your rankings, you know? It's basically, it's, it's that simple. Someone will take that spot, and the person with the most grit will more likely take it, unless you make extremely smart decisions, like, much better than your creators. So, yeah, should we send more emails? Maybe. Uh, maybe we should try that. We actually have some campaigns coming up on one of the new sites. So uh, maybe we should try to add one or two more emails and see what happens, you know? What I would probably do is is try and test it on a shotgun versus sniper basis because I feel like, I feel less bad about sending extra emails in a sniper scenario than a shotgun scenario. So I wonder if there's if there's some merit in that. I don't think so, to be honest. I think it's like for people, they have no idea if you're doing shotgun or sniper. That, I mean, they get, it's just they get less personalized templates, but like how much does that really matter? Yeah, well, what I mean is like, it's very rare that you piss anyone off with sniper. Yeah, because you feel it, you know? <laughs> like you, you stop if you feel people are like, no, like, I mean, I guess if they're not responding at all, you don't feel anything actually. But if they're, if they're negatively responding, it's usually because you've messed up the targeting or you've like gotten their name wrong, you emailed the wrong person or something like that, and you keep doing it. Actually, great uh, segue into the next transition. I wanted to say alluding here, but I just couldn't find a way to spell it, to put it in there. It's actually using people's name. Uh, we got that weird stat. It's a really weird one, right? Where getting the same campaign, like we were just comparing the email sequences, so like uh, back and forth, where the name of the person we were talking to was mentioned in our messages versus the ones where it's not mentioned. So like, hey, editorial team versus hey, Mark, basically. And we found that the open rates and reply rates were quite close, but the link closing, so actually acquiring the link to our site, there was 50% more links when our emails included the names of the people we were talking to, which is... That's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's, and the thing is, like, actually... Um, I actually was checking uh, notes from that book, which is called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's one of their core principles. It's basically like people love the name, the sound of their own names. The most in the world is the sound they love the most. And so they tend to like, like you more when you remember it and you highlight that you know it, you know. 
which seems to essentially be confirmed by that. But I kind of like like had a counter argument to that. Maybe it's working better because we know their names because of their email. So maybe the email we reach out to is more relevant as well. Maybe there's a bit of that too. Yep, yep. I think that's probably, uh, what do you call it, like confirmation bias or something like that. Exactly. Um, Maybe there's a bit of both, right? 50% is a lot. It could be a bit of both. You know? So we, we say a lot that, hey, you should use um, personal emails rather than generic. So someone's name rather than a info at or a sales at email address. So this, this probably goes a long way to explain this. What I would say, though, is that when we use hunter.io to find email addresses at scale, it often gives you back a name, but often it doesn't as well. I'm not quite sure like what their system for how, how they do this is, but I've noticed even when it's something really obvious, like mark at domain.com, it, it won't give you the name. I think it looks to find that in some other way, or I'm, I'm not sure how it's set up. So that actually tells me that like not all of the, just by lo- looking at some of the data we get out of Hunter, not all of the personal emails we're sending out are including the name right? Or, or at least they weren't for quite some time until we started doing, using the, the census data trick, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. I mean, this is so, it's so much higher, like the 50% that I, I feel like there's probably some merit just in the fact that it's a name, even if you take away the fact that it's a personal email address as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably a bit of both. Like, I think it's so much more than you need at least like two, like only one factor would not increase success rate by 50%. So they probably multiply with each other. Explain the census data trick, actually. Census data trick. So you use an Excel formula to pull out the email prefix. So if my email address is mark at authorityhacker.com, it would just pull out the word mark. And then you find, you just Google like census name data list or something, and you can find lists of people people's first names very easily, like big list, 20,000 or whatever. And then you just do a VLOOKUP of the email prefix on the census data and return the result as the name column if if it can find it. And then you like put that back into your outreach sheet and then you send that out. So it's a, it's a really good way to kind of like personalize emails, not personalize, but like get people's name and email at scale. And if you do any kind of, um, not just for email outreach, but for, uh, you know, we have a, an email list and authority hacker, we could download that from um, Active Campaign and run it through this process and enrich the data that way it's pretty accurate as well because not too many people have someone else's name as their email prefix if that's not their their real name so and even if you get these guys name wrong they won't be mad i think <laughs> okay so that is basically using people's name which was really like i think it was the weirdest start of the whole thing to be honest like just, just the, the lift off is insane actually i think you're right though like don't read that into like oh if i just write their name i'm gonna get 50 percent higher links because it's the the personal using personal emails is is a good thing as well. That's something to read into as well. Like focus on on getting personal emails as opposed to generic emails. Yeah, I think you need both. I think it's like higher quality emails together with that. I think we, it's almost like we should try to bucket it to try to see the success of emails with first names as the prefix versus emails that are not the first name and it might actually help us on that actually we should look at that okay then we looked at like what kind of sites uh, we're looking to us and most importantly we're looking at the domain rating range so we're using ahrefs data for this this domain rating is kind of like their own version of google's old page rank or mother rank or that kind of stuff it's a scale of uh one to zero to 100 sorry and it is logarithmic which means that you know going from 50 to 60 is infinitely harder than going from zero to 10. So it's not linear, basically. So you need to take that into account. So 
as Mark said, most of these results came from shotgun skyscraper, which is kind of like a mass outreach type thing. And I think we can see that in the types of sites that ended up linking to us. It's not really bad sites, but it's like the uh, 30 to 50 ranges to be like, were basically the, um, the, the most like popular types of DR or range of DR of sites that link to us. And I think it's not the highest DR size, but it's not the lowest as well. It's kind of like the, the middle of the pack, basically. So what's your analysis on this? So I think there's a few things going on here. First of all, as time went on, we started actively targeting that sort of segment of the market because the, we found that it was it was getting the results. So it, the results are true but then we we kind of compounded it further so we made the results stronger by focusing shotgun outreach at that segment of the market when you start a new site and you're doing link building i think it's worthwhile to outreach to even like dr5 dr10 dr20 sites because those links are still moving the needle when your site's new as you start to go up in dr and authority yourself it's it's a better idea, I feel, to move away from like the lower end and go to more mid-range links. Of course, go for high end if you can. But we started cutting out high end sites like DR fifty sixty plus from our skyscraper outreach or shotgun skyscraper outreach sixty plus. The line was at sixty. I remember it just wasn't working um, at that that high range, and it was kind of burning some of the potential prospects at that range because there were a lot fewer of them and we prefer to use a sniper strategy at that that kind of level. So I think that's that's kind of explains the data a little bit. But more than that, I, I just think that sites which are kind of in that general 30 to 50 range are a lot more likely to, to give you links anyway because they're active sites that are alive and people are working on them and people are checking the email address, which is which is not always the case for, for lower lower DR sites. And they're still kind of like, you know, one person or a very small team managing it as opposed to, you know, a big corporation or internet uh, multinational organization who probably have several approval chains before they'll even edit a link to go to your site or whatever. So I think that kind of explains it a little bit. And I think, yeah, there's this like phenomenon called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy where it's like the idea of some guy shoots at the side of a barn, six shots, and then he walks up to it and draws a target around where most of the bullets are. And it looks like he's a very good shot. So I think maybe there's like an element of that going on on here as well. I, I think fundamentally there's there's merit in targeting this, this kind of DR range for shotgun skyscraper. But because we knew that quite early on, we had, had kind of made, made it look like we, through focusing our outreach at that range, we'd made it look like it's more important or a, a more of a strong signal. I mean, we follow, we follow that rule, right? We follow that rule where we try to get say, sites that are at least our DR or higher. So, and when you do that volume of links, et cetera, yeah, you get above the other like 20, 30 quickly. <laughs> so, so eventually you just end up in that range. And because we draw that line at DR60, where it's like essentially we switch to shotgun, uh, to sniper outreach. So personalized outreach for sites that are DR60 plus, then it makes sense that it kind of bottlenecks around 30 to 50 actually. So yeah, I get it. Let's talk about the best day of the week to outreach, which is something we looked at as well, which was kind of interesting. So actually not all days were equal. It was not massive variations, but Monday and Friday by far, I mean, like by quite a bit still, like it was still significant, were shown to be the best days for link acquisition, actually. So what do you think that is? As I alluded to earlier, I think that 
people view responding to outreach requests as kind of secondary tasks. So you'll have people who just put it off till Friday, like, oh, I'll just go through my email, clear out my inbox for the weekend. So I think that maybe explains that. Uh, and also on Monday, I think people like don't really want to start work and feel like clearing out their inbox or, or, or going through that feels like they're doing real work when maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So I, I feel like that probably had something to to do with it. Yeah, okay, makes sense. So that basically is what... Uh, but like, do you think we should email people only on Monday and Friday? Or like, how does that affect your vision of things? No, so here, here, here's the thing as well. So we measure this based on uh, our time zone, uh, which is uh, in Europe. So it could be the case that actually on Thursday evening in the US, which is technically Friday in Europe, people are responding to it or likewise on Saturday morning in, in Asia. So it's not a precise measurement. You'd need to look at the time zone people were in as well to really understand that, uh, like when in their day they're, they're doing it, which will get you the data. But even if it does get you the data, it doesn't really help you because you don't know what time zone someone's in before you're outreaching to someone. So I'm not sure how beneficial it is. Also because of what I said earlier is if you're, if you're doing a sniper outreach, I think this could be a good idea to maybe send out your emails on Sunday night, Monday morning, or Thursday night, Friday morning kind of thing, or maybe your follow-ups then in, in, instead. But I think that it's going to be challenging to, to send, to sort of control when they're receiving these messages when you start doing this at scale because of the issues I, I said earlier with, with MailShake, like you, 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 you're sending out, you want to send out more emails than it's letting you per day. So it's kind of pushing it to the next day. And that effect will make it much harder to control the days people are actually getting the, the emails. But what's also interesting is because that's the process we've been running throughout most of this time, at least the time we've been measuring our link building that's including the data, is that just naturally people are going to respond on these days. And maybe it doesn't actually matter when they receive it. Maybe it's just that's when they're going to respond and it's okay to send it anytime. Cause I mean, look, we did that and it got us the links. So it's hard to, hard to get a, a specific actionable takeaway from this, but it's, it's interesting data nonetheless. Do you think that will affect the way we do sniper outreach maybe? Potentially. Yeah. I think that, I think that maybe like sending it on any day is fine, but maybe if we're scheduling follow-ups, Rather than doing those X days after send, we could do that on the X days plus the next Friday or the next Monday or whatever. It's, a, it's something we could we could consider. The difficulty with Sniper is because we're doing so few outreach emails, at least in comparison to Shotgun, is it's much harder to get like statistically significant data for it. So I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be a, a big focus of, of, of our, our efforts, but something to think of nonetheless. Okay, another thing that we looked at is basically our success rate at getting links from this a site that already linked to us before. It was like much, much higher. But I do think that, that it was kind of a deliberate on our end. So can you explain to people what we're doing on that end, basically? Yeah, I mean, this is something I think anyone should be doing. It's a, it's a big reason why we started collecting data about our successful outreach links in, in the first place. Like before we were collecting this data, it was just we were getting a link and okay, we can maybe see it in Ahrefs or something, but we, we weren't looking at 
weren't looking at this. We didn't have a list of people who we'd outreach to and who had given us a list. As soon as we started collecting that data, it allowed us to then contact quickly contact those people again. And uh, there are cases where we would start another site and then outreach to those people. And there are cases where we would have maybe built links to info content and we would go back later and uh, try and outreach, try and get a link to a commercial piece of content, which we which by having a link directly to that page would, even though there's diminishing returns over the number of links from their domain to your domain, positively affecting your overall domain authority, by having a link to specifically to a commercial page, it would help boost that specific page and a specific keyword on a, a, a SERP. And those were the ones we really cared about, the, the commercial content that, that made us money. I think that's like one of the most underrated thing actually in, in the outreaching building right now. <laughs> Like by long shot, it's like pay us. We do the same, right? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's one of these things. Like when you, uh, when it gets harder and harder to get the volume, kind of like how it is with traffic at the moment. So Google's taking a lot of traffic away, sending you less clicks and and all that. So so what can you do if you can't get more clicks, or what can you do if you can't get more links? Well, try and make the links that you do get more effective, or help you more, or in, in the case of you know keywords and rankings, like try and make more money from each visitor it's the same kind of principle and kind of mentality that you should you should have and it's worked really well for us yeah i mean we it's the same principle that we use for paid traffic as well right so like when when you try to build an audience that you can advertise your product to what you actually do first is you do an ad that's like targeting the right kind of people but you don't know if they're your potential buyers and you make the content so that only people who care about your topic engage so if we were like again selling the authority system, which is on sale right now, you can check on the homepage, little promo. But like, if you were selling that, then I'd make a post like that is like a, a funny meme and like a blog post, uh, maybe some text explaining like what authority sites are. And people who like engage or watch the video or whatever, then these people will advertise. So it's kind of the same thing. Like you kind of like do a first interaction for cheap, like which is, for example, a link to an info piece of content. And once they interact slash engage with you, then you try to pitch them on what you really care about, which is for paid ads, our products, for link building, the commercial pages, you know? I think that's going to be an approach that's going to develop more and more as this becomes more competitive because the success rate has been really high, actually. Okay, let's talk about outreach templates now. So I'll let you comment on that because you actually were in charge for this in the process. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, so first I'm going to talk about subject lines uh, and it's really interesting. So the the highest open rate subject lines we've had have all been a variation of of question. So question, question mark, or question for you, or quick question, quick question for you. Now, I realize that by saying that, that you know, if everyone just goes out and does it, probably loses effectiveness. And that's the, it's the nature of, 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 of templates that you have to kind of always be changing and always be kind of updating them and trying new things. It's just kind of how it is. But it's interesting, the, the dynamic of the, the, the question subject line. I, I feel like it's coming across as something which is piquing their intrigue. It's like um, intriguing someone like, what does this person want? So they're they're opening it maybe for for that reason. We, though to be fair, we did shy away from sensationalized things like "Oh my God, you won't believe this" or "Super urgent message for you." We we didn't actually try that very much. So it's, it's possible something like that could have worked even better. But again, you have to be careful if you're just tracking open rate from a, a subject line. You you want to be looking at 
the the actual link acquisition you're you're getting as well. Otherwise, and I, I know like Mailshake allows you to test um, open rates, and and we did use the the A/B testing functionality to to do that quite extensively actually. But as we showed earlier, you know you can't uh, always rely on open rates to be like the best best way forward. But it's still worth trying to improve them. I think I think it's if you if you can't measure against actual success or you don't have a big enough data set to do it you should still try and improve your open rate because most likely not always but most likely it's going to improve your your actual link acquisition rate as well in terms of the actual content in the email i'm not 100% sure like so the issue is there's so many different variables each time you do it it's not like we would just change one sentence each time often we would write vastly different different things and we would, we would change it quite a lot there wasn't really too many consistent um themes that we found worked you know amazingly amazingly well what we would normally do is sort of introduce ourselves and very quickly get to a a because so why are we contacting you i'm i'm reaching out to you because I want a link or because I saw you this post and I want to write a guest post or I saw you accept guest post or whatever it is, get to that quite quickly. I, and I think that works quite well, maybe in combination with the question, because we're actually kind of releasing that tension that we create with the the question, like, oh, what does this person want? Oh, that, that's what they want. So maybe that has something to do with it. I'm, I'm not sure. The because example is actually taken in uh, influence, like uh, Robert Cialdini. It's like he's like uh, uh, people were asked to if they could pass a queue. They were asking if they could pass a queue for a photocopy or something. Uh, people, I, I can't remember, but like the difference between can I just go in front of you versus the difference of can I just go in front of you because I need to do a photocopy was like three times more success just because they said because. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny. I that's actually where I got it from originally. I use this quite a lot. So I, I've been to a few music festivals over the last few years. And in certain countries, when you order like a bottle of water, they don't give you a cap for it. Like, so it's just, an, you can't put it in your pocket. You just have to drink it. I think it's a tactic to make money. I think it's, a, no, it's not because you see them opening it, but I think it's a tactic to make more money because you have to, you can't hold it for a long time. You have to come back and buy another drink or whatever. So, so what I started doing is I just asked people, can I have the bottle caps? And they would say like, no. And I was, I just make up some reason. Can I have the bottle caps because I'm standing at the front? Or can I have the bottle caps because I really need one? Or can I have the bottle caps because, and then you just make up like a fun reason. Can I have a bottle cap because it's Saturday? I, I don't have statistically significant data to, to show this, but it's just fun because you're like, you definitely get more bottle caps whenever you use the word because, so interesting interesting takeaway there nothing to do with link building but <laughs> nice segue but um yeah it's it's something that has been tested psychologically and works and it seems to work with uh, outreach emails as well and you know like we, we rely on like stuff that's been proven by other people basically so yeah this has worked well anything else to say about the templates or like we're done here shorter is generally better we've we, we've found uh, so if you if you have like a three, four short paragraphs, a couple sentences, that's enough. Don't give someone your life story because time is of the essence and they don't care. Yeah. 
yeah okay well i mean that is most of what is in his blog post actually so we kind of like run through we didn't say what's in the blog post we kind of like discussed the stats instead so i recommend you go check the blog post on the blog as well uh, and i'm going to do a final reminder that we are running a, a special offer on the auto system uh, for the next there's 24 hours left at the time at which this podcast is released and mark has completely updated the whole link building section in it basically everything's been reshot lots of new stuff it's been more in depth etc so a lot of the like learnings from this data study we've done have been incorporated further into into that as well so it's quite interesting yeah so if you want to learn more about that special offer you can just go on our homepage, and the first call to action on top of the page will be that special offer while it's running if you don't see it it means the offer is over and it's gonna be on the soon so check it out before it ends I also want to thank you for listening to the episode. If you are not subscribed yet, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any other episode where we talk about more fun stuff like that and how Mark gets free bottle caps. And you can also drop us a review if you haven't done it yet. It also helps us reach more people with the podcast. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week for another episode. Bye.